Welcome back to Closer Mentality. I'm your host, Julia Millett. Episode 60 concludes our Women's History Month programming. Before this episode begins, I want to thank Nicole Hine, Angela Salem, Mary Tucker, and Keegan Randall for sharing their stories this month. These women have all made history in their sports, and I'm so incredibly thankful to them for sharing their stories with a closer mentality. Today, I have yet another amazing athlete who overcame dangerous odds to manifest a trip to the 2018 Winter Olympics. Buckle your seatbelts. We're going to Australia. This is Maddie Himbury's story. Himbury began her skiing career off the snow, on vaults, uneven bars, and beams instead. She says it's a familiar transition from gymnastics, which she'd been steeped in for a decade, to freestyle skiing. But the move became one she made a solid four years behind schedule. Um, and mum said, you can join like the local program, Perisher Winter Sports Club, if um, you do a 360 today. Because my brother was trying to teach me them all winter and I was like, wouldn't do it. Like I get like 270, like nearly all the way around. And so Josh and I went out, my brother, and hiked a jump a few times until I did it. And then I was allowed to sign up for the program the next year. Um, and then the rest kind of sailed pretty quickly because, like I said, I was pretty late to the sport, but I was really athletic. And so then I was on the radar of the mobile um, world and they pulled me in pretty quick. Now there's different programs that we do pull people from into schools to bring them on to like a junior comp. And um, the national team guys usually coach them so the kids get a feel for what it's like in the community. Um, and then we try and poach them from there. But uh, I was pre that age and kind of just, I'd met some of the kids in the um, in the ski area and it's gone up and spoken to them. They're on like the trampoline mucking around. Um, and I just thought they were really cool too. So I wanted to hang out with them. <laughs> I just kind of love the sport um, through like this school ski competition we do. So you can try all these different events. And so I did all the skiing and cross country events at it called Interschool um, and Moguls was the most interesting to me and it's, it's a baby course for sure um, compared to what we see on at World Cup um, but it gives you a taste of it and lets you know whether you like it or not and so I like that there's bumps, there's jumps and then there's speed so if one thing's not working for you on one day you can still work on something else like you don't have to just keep drilling in the same skill but um, there's so many different components um, to work on. So it's kind of nice variety and it's also kind of a little bit crazy. Mogul skiing requires constant focus and attention to detail. One wrong movement and a run could end disastrously. If I only just did this one thing or if I only was just one second earlier, that whole run would have been different. Um, but that's kind of the exciting thing of mogul skiing is that nobody really does a perfect run. And it is a judge sport. So sometimes you can make a mistake and the judges will take like nothing from you. And sometimes you can make a mistake and they'll hugely like deduct you and you're like, what? Like it wasn't that bad. So that can be really frustrating, I think, is when you've got like it's in the hand of the judges. Um, but that's our job is to make it as seamless as possible, um, to make it look as easy as possible to the normal eye. And hopefully the judges um, you can, I mean, sometimes you'll make a, a mistake in the top and so you feel the need to, you know, wow them the rest and then maybe they'll forget at the top, at the, the mistake at the top. And sometimes it does happen, like, you just got to go for it. So that's a bit of like a tactical play, um, but it also makes it really exciting. 
when you're competing, if you're concentrating and trying to force these changes and make sure you do the right thing, that's when you come into more trouble than good. So it's letting your body do its thing at that point. I mean, you can talk and discuss possible tactics like going a little further right on a jump um, might be something you are going to focus on, but it's never going to be like a technique thing. It's that you just want to be active and fast and ready so you need to be focused in the zone so that your body can do its thing as quick as possible because it's all about recovering from mistakes as quick as possible rather than avoiding mistakes. Himbury's skiing career began in 2007 when she joined the Parisher Sports Club. She received an Emerging Athlete Program scholarship through Australia's New South Wales Institute of Sport at age 16, but quickly saw it revoked a mere six months later when she tore her left ACL in a training accident. Um, and so it can be really heartbreaking to do your ACL around 16, 18, 20. Um, and it's just kind of, sometimes it's like at crunch time, you've got to pick, do you want to go to university? Do you want to um, go into this elite athlete path? And so if you're injured, it's really easy to take the other route out and, you know, hang out with friends, go to parties, go to uni, um, go to college, like, it's just really easy out at that point. Um, so, I mean, I just like really focused in on the little things. So, you know, for your ACL, like you have to learn to walk again. So like the first step is, can you straighten your legs? So once you get, like, so I wrote like tick list cause I'd already done one. So I knew the second of what I was going to be achieving. So it was like getting a straight leg, being able to walk on it without crutches, um, being able to do a step up. Then it's like moving on to hopping, being able to run again. Um, and it's like all these little things so that it doesn't seem like it's 12 months away that you're going to be skiing, but it's, oh, it's within this week, I'm going to achieve these three things. Um, because if you are focusing on that end goal, like anything, like in sport, if you're just focusing on the Olympics, it's, it's going to be impossible. Like you just can't. You have to focus on all the small process steps to be able to get to that end goal. Um, and if you're focusing on those little things, then you'll also find the little wins. And so then you'll see the positivity and you'll be able to keep moving forward because you'll, you'll feel satisfaction as you go along. ACL tears are one of the most prevalent injuries for freestyle skiers. And Himbury was, whether she realized it or not, placing the entire brunt of her ability to walk on her sport. My start to the uh, mobile program wasn't great. So yeah, I was thinking, at 15 to go overseas on like a development camp and then I guess they're just testing you out see how you go overseas training in that environment and then I came home and um tore my ACL and then uh I re oh, well I tore the opposite one within a year and a half so I just returned to competition and I tore the other one um so I mean, they say it's genetic as well, so maybe I just had the gene and I just had to get it out of the way. But that was really tough because I just joined a sport and I'd just been injured for nearly four years because it takes about like a good two years, I reckon, to get back to where you were. Um, and it, it's a good 12 months off snow each one. So it's like it's a long time out for something that I had just begun and I didn't really know if I was any good at and I've also been shafted to the side because, you know, I was new to the program and they brought me on board, but then they saw I got injured, so they're like, see you later. Um, so to be then discarded and then I was getting old in that system, to be 18 and be injured is old. 
So I knew I had a lot of hard work ahead of me and whether that was something I wanted to do, I didn't really know at the time. Um, but I was like, I'm going to do the rehab. I'll make sure that I'm good. Um, and I had people around me that were like, just do it. And then at the end of the six months, we'll see, like, do you want to come back? We'll be here for you. Um, obviously outside the program at that time, but there was other coaches that are willing to support me. So, yeah, I, I was pretty demotivated at that second one. The first one I was like, oh, well, I'm in high school. I can go to school with crutches. People will give me attention. But the second one, I deferred uni to go and ski for the year. I was meant to go to Junior Worlds. Um, so, like, things were just starting to pick up for me. And I was like, yay, like, finally getting into the sport, getting somewhere. Um, and to do that second one, I was like, oh, maybe maybe I'm not made for this. <laughs> uh, I would say the first three months of that second surgery, I was pretty, I'm not doing this. Um, <laughs> so I think there was, yeah, three months there where I was just like, oh, no way, but I was that that first three months like you're still learning to walk and everything. So I was like, I've got to do the rehab to be able to walk, and I'm an athlete, person I want to be able to play sports. So yeah, I was just kind of doing it because I knew me as a person really wanted to stay sporty, but I didn't really see myself going back into moguls at that time. It just seemed too far away, and and that I wasn't good enough. Like I just kept getting injured. <laughs> Himbury tore her right ACL, competing at her first North American Cup finals. Two ACL reconstructions before she turned 18 sent Himbury seriously questioning her longevity in the sport and how much longer she could continue to juggle all the pressures. Um, I related my whole identity around skiing and the result of skiing because um, we put a lot on hold in our life to be an athlete and I get um, that what we do is pretty amazing. We get to travel the world and see amazing things and but I think people also don't see how hard we work in between that and the sacrifices that we make um, because if it was easy, everyone would do it, right? Um, and I had given up uni that year to focus just on skiing um, and we were traveling a lot and there was eight girls fighting for four spots. So it was very competitive that year. Um, and it was very cutthroat. Like, if you didn't beat someone, you would cut off. It didn't really matter if you were last and second last. It just mattered that you beat your teammate. So there was a lot of tension in our team because of that structure as well, because it's all about beating your roommate, which is just unhealthy. It wasn't about doing a good performance. It didn't matter. It's just whether you beat the person you're sleeping next to, which is a really difficult environment to be in. And then because I didn't have anything else going on, like it was ski, 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 ski. And I come home and like on my other camps, you'd have to, you know, do an assignment here and do like this uni class here. So it just breaks it away and changes it for a second and also makes you realize there is a world outside of sport um, and that you do have a life out, like on the other side of sport too. But when you're just in it, you're like sucked into this bubble and and because you're putting so much time and energy into it, you want to see success and performance out of it. Like you want to see a reward out of, out of all your hard work. And so I put a lot of pressure on myself to achieve. And so at the beginning of the season, I was training really well and would compete not very well. So not crash out, but just stiff and tight because I was, like I said before, like trying so hard not to make mistakes and to do this perfect run that 
I wasn't slowing down the hill and you can see that and you can see this stiff movement um, and it just looks uncomfortable and unnatural and it's just not going to score well at the end of the day. Like you've got to let your body do its thing. And then my results just slowly kept dropping and my anxiety and poor mental health just kept increasing because I was like, I'm not getting what I want to achieve and I'm trying harder and it's not happening because in reverse, I needed to try less and my results would go up because I had the skill. I just couldn't put it down. A January 2003 study done on freestyle world championship skiers in Whistler, Canada, found that 47% of the 95 pole skiers had at least 1.6 serious knee injuries during their careers. 37% of the women and 24% of the men had suffered one to three ACL ruptures. Although it sounds severe to tear both ACLs, Himbury says that it's almost par for the course. I still had more in the tank and to show the world. Like, we're all performers. Like, we want to show the world what we're capable of. Um, and so that was, like, a big thing. I was like, I think I'm still pretty good at this. And each time I learned a lot about myself and my body, um, and I also got a lot better um, because they could retrain you and reski you the way that they want you to be and your body to be. So um, doing two in a row kind of sucks, but... Um, I developed a lot as a skier and as like an athlete and so I was a lot stronger and fitter and so I knew that I could be better than what I was. Himbury worked diligently to come back to moguls with her renewed needs. Meanwhile, mental health issues were sprouting in her mind. Could she come back? Was it worth it? She began to experience panic attacks and performance anxiety. She found a sports psychologist through the Olympic Winter Institute of Australia. But his brand of assistance missed the mark. He was with the Olympic Winter Institute, so I was considered a very low priority on that because I was at the bottom of the rung. So I'd get um, help at the very end if he had time kind of thing. Um, but I was in kind of crisis mode at that point where I was um, suffering with anxiety and panic attacks. So I wasn't really getting sports psych, I would say. I was getting clinical psych, um, and he had that background, thankfully. Um, so it was mainly giving me grounding techniques at the top of the course when I'd go into panic and to be able to bring me back in to actually make me perform. But he's not. his role was not to ensure that I had good mental health. It was to ensure that I competed. So his role was to get me out there competing. So he did that role, but he didn't extend past that so that mental health issue still kept happening for me um, I was able to compete and get through but I couldn't continue like that we get taught these skills from a psychologist or whatever it might be in a room and like here's some mental skills on how to focus how to concentrate very sport specific things to succeed because all they care about is Olympic medals right it's not about your wellness per se. And then they're like, okay, and then go take it out into your field. And so I just find that really difficult to do and something that needs to change because how can you sit down in a room with someone and say, it's like saying, you know, you need to get your quads bigger to um, be able to ski faster and we're just going to sit here and talk about mobile skiing for two hours and then you're going to go out there with no coaching or help and do it 
and I just and no progression and it just like don't is a bit of disconnect there on how to deal with pressure and stress just by sitting in a classroom um, and there's no like crossover so that's something in the space that needs a little bit more work I think in the Australian programs in particular um, so that when you get to the point where you might come anxious or you might come into this panic you you already have some skills and some coping mechanisms where you practice in the gym with your heart rate up here to be able to level it back down and control and be able to refocus again rather than just telling you that you should focus. <laughs> Though her mental health became a constant struggle, on the slopes, Himbury was tearing it up. She kicked off her first FIS Freestyle Skiing World Cup tour, where she contested 10 mogul and dual mogul events over two months in the likes of the United States, Canada, Korea, Japan, China, and the World Championships in Spain, with a time of 68.91 seconds. In Calgary, Canada, a top 10 moguls finish pushed her into Olympic contention. But she was in the midst of dealing with a wealth of mental health issues. So we don't qualify until after the very last event, which is usually two weeks before the Games. So um, you have to be in the top 30 in the world, and you have to be in the top four in Australia. And so um, I had gotten a top 10 the year previous. And so the qualification is a two-year process. And so that top 10 is what carried me through into the Olympics because it's your one best result because Australia wants to see the best possible chance at a medal. They don't want the most consistent skier. They want uh, someone that is most likely to get the best result. Um, and so that's why they wait until the very last comp because it's only your one best result. So anyone can get it till the very end. Um, and so I found out two weeks before and of, as I mentioned, that season was going worse and worse for me. Um, I actually didn't want to compete in that last competition. I told the sports psych, like, I can't do it. Like my mental, like I'm at my, I'm, I'm full, like I can't go through another competition, another heartbreak again, because I just kept getting worse and worse. And I just didn't want to go through that stress again and going through all that panic and everything to then get a result that I didn't even want. But because I think I didn't even want to compete in it, I actually did pretty well at it. I was at the point where I was like, I don't even care. <laughs> and so I skied pretty well at that comp. Um, but yeah, I found out that afternoon I mean, you know, but you don't get the official invite until a few days later. And it was just like a sense of relief, I guess. Um, we were very excited, me and my roommate. Um, but obviously there was a bunch of girls that didn't qualify. So it was an awkward, you know, situation, but they got sent home straight away and we got to go to Olympic camp. And so um, that pre-Olympic camp is where I skied really well again because that pressure and that stress had gone because I'd qualified. I did, you know, that big, huge goal that I'd focused so much on, um, I'd gotten to the games. Like, I didn't have any pressure on what I wanted to get at the games, I guess. I just, like, it was a big focus to get to the games. So I guess that's where I lost myself in that, that goal and that sport. And so once I achieved that, I could relax and I could train and ski really well. So that pre-Olympic camp is where I gained a lot of confidence again. Um, to set me up well into 2018. Suddenly, Himbury was in a plane with her fellow Australian Winter Olympians headed for South Korea, thinking about all the pressure and adversity she had pushed through to be there. In like any part of daily life, like you're going to have struggles, you're going to have problems. 
but you need to know that you can cope and get through and still, you know, do the job or achieve different things um, or just function as a human, you know, when you're under this stress and pressure. Um, so that was like a good thing for myself to realise. And then at the Games itself, I think when I, uh, we have like an induction ceremony with Australia and we had to stand up on the, on the stage and they played the national anthem. And that was kind of like a point for me where I realised like the significance of the Games and the significance of me representing my country. Um, so I've never heard the anthem like I'd heard it there before, where I was like, holy crap, like I'm representing Australia and this is a big, big deal. On February 11th, 2018, Himbury stepped onto snow in front of the world at Phoenix Snow Park to prove to herself and Team Australia that her years of hard work had been worth it. With a time of 68.19 seconds, a 24-year-old Himbury finished her Olympic mogul's outing after two finals in 20th overall. I got to make an extra final, which was top 20. I, I was aiming for the top 12 final, um, but... I had improved every day with my skiing. I had, we'd made a tactical change to take my jump on the bottom slightly left. And I was doing a little bit more and more. And then on the last one, I did it too much. So I overcorrected too much. And so I drifted out of the line and I got 20. So, I mean, it is, that's kind of mobile skiing, but you have to, you have to go after it and you have to make changes. You can't do the same run that got you the lowest score before. So I'm happy that I still went for that change and went after I skied faster, I skied better. Um, but yeah, it just wasn't quite the setup that I was hoping for into the game. Like I was hoping to keep building like I had the year before and get more finals and get more confidence in that um, higher range. Um, because like we all kind of have this capability to be able to put down these runs, but you can see the excellent performers and the excellent competitors. Um, and they can have not as good technique, but it's just how well they compose themselves and how well they um, believe and are confident in their skills and just go after it on every competition. And that's just something that I never really got to that season, um, which I wish that I could have built on, but um, it's still, I knew, I was still very proud of what I did at that game. Um, it wasn't the experience that I was hoping for. So I've said previously that I didn't enjoy the Olympic Games. And that kind of can ruffle some feathers because I think everyone, even if they do or don't do well or have a good time or not have a good time, because it's, there's so much like oomph around it, everyone feels this pressure to say, it was amazing, it was awesome. I was just like, I got to represent my country and it was so cool. And But like, it wasn't that experience for me. And so I just felt like I had to, you know, say it. But um, yeah, it's, an interesting one because I'm still really proud of what I did and really enjoy well I take a lot from that experience but I didn't really have a good time. <laughs> the 20th place finish stuck with Himbury motivating her to return to practice quickly after South Korea. What Himbury didn't account for was that the looming cloud of anxiety that had been over her until she competed at the Olympics would soon return. One day, she stepped back, evaluated her thoughts, and came to the conclusion that she had lost the love of the sport. Uh, I tried to come back for training, I took a little time off, and then I realized I just wasn't in the right headspace because I'd been pushing for so long 
and I could finally let myself relax a little because I'd made that end goal. Uh, so I actually took, um, I think it was about nine months away from competitive sport um, to focus on my mental health. So I saw a clinical psych at that point externally um, because the Australian team did not provide any support in that area. Um, so they agreed that um, I needed to work on this area, um, that I needed to take time off. I went to them saying, I think, I think I'm not okay. Like, I think I need, really need help. And they said, we agree. We, we didn't want you to keep pushing right now. Um, we want you to work on your mental health and come back to us um, when you're fit um, next year. And if you're fit and healthy then, we'll, we'll re-support you then. Um, but they don't have any clinical psych support in the program. So I had to go and fund that myself. And I stayed with our sports psych and employed him privately because if any people have gone to psychologists, it's really hard to start again, um, to explain everything from the beginning, to go back and dredge the past to, to make sense of what's happening right now. And that's an intimidating process for one, um, but also finding the right person is, is another intimidating process. So I just didn't want to have to go through all that. Um, so I kept on this um, sports psych um, and we worked together for quite some time um, because I, you know, attach myself to this identity as Maddie as a skier. And so I had to find myself again. And then I had to find my, the love for the sport again because I'd lost that in all this competition pressure. Um, so I did go over and I skied with like a um, Wasatch in, um, in Utah, like just a local team. And I just kind of found the love by being around young skiers again, really, because they just love the sport so much. They do it because, you know, that's their passion rather than when you go at the high level and you're training with these people, it's their job. It's like you're out there to achieve a goal every day. So just training with different people in a different environment was um, refreshing, I guess. Um, and I realized, I, and I didn't want to, you know, not do any moguls that year. So I, I trained with them for three weeks. Um, and I also wanted to do a new trick, a back full. Um, and I wanted to compete that because I didn't know if that would give me the closure and the satisfaction that I was done because I didn't get that chance into the games because they were like, no, we're going to do the run you know that you're good at. We don't want to ruffle any feathers right now, um, which I understand, but also that was one of my goals. So I wanted to achieve that. Um, and then I went free skiing with my family around France, which was bougie and delightful. Um, so I found the love again and I was like, I did that back full in competition and um, I was like, oh, I kind of like this still. When she returned to Team Australia, she immediately began attempting to restructure the way she worked with the Olympic team and the roommate structure, which hadn't been conducive to her success. And so like you would with a physical injury, you get a progressive return. And so I asked for that for a mental injury. So I said, can I come on the camp maybe for two weeks instead of four weeks? Can I stay separately just to have my own space? Just because I was worried about my mental health affecting other people because you're you're in a house with people and I was also worried about that stress adding to that um mental health um because you know mental health is not just solved overnight and I think that's where they thought I was either I was either good or I wasn't I had to say like are you good or are you not like was like the question and I got told at one point when I said I didn't want to live I was like can I live separately they told me well no you just have to suck it up and get over it at some point and I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> I don't think you can tell someone with mental health problems to suck it up, which I think is the whole problem with mental health in sport is that we're taught and we're trained from a very young age 
to be strong, to push through at any cost. And if you don't, you're not going to succeed and you're weak. And that crosses over to the mental space where you have to keep pushing. Um, otherwise, you won't get success and we'll, we'll drop you, you know, because you're not strong enough to handle it. Not that you don't have the skills to cope and we're going to help develop you in this area. Like if you don't have the skills to do a backflip, we'll go on the trampoline with you and we'll help you learn to do a backflip. But in the mental space, you're considered weak and not strong enough. And so that became a real issue and I was fighting quite hard for that, like to be understood in that area and for them to have more education and understanding. And I asked the sports psych to help me um, convey these messages to the coaches. And he was actually the one who told me to, to get over it. At some point I have to get over it. And so I had no support on the inside either helping me to educate the coaches on what is appropriate for me to return to snow or not. And so that's where I think a lot of this um, tension happened between me and the coaches. And then um, subsequently I was dropped from the team. They didn't reinstate my scholarship and they uh, left me kind of for dead, I feel like. But I still qualified to a World Cup. So I was a World Cup athlete without any access to support. So I was at the highest level and I think I was, that year at nationals, I was third at the Continental Cup, second ranked Australian. So I don't know, it was not to do anything with my results. It was to do completely with either the fact that I had mental health problems or the fact that I, I really honed in on getting support for it. And they didn't like that I was so pushy or what I had to say about it. I'm not sure. And But I feel like I've been punished for that decision or that set of events since then and felt undervalued and then they confirmed it by saying you're not good enough you don't deserve this and then on a daily daily rate I was getting reinforced this by saying no you don't get access to the gym no you can't go when they're going so it's just constantly saying no you're not good enough no you don't deserve that um and this is why and so that's a mental battle in itself constantly being like no actually I am good enough I do deserve to be here I should keep going and I should keep trying um so that's when I developed my own amazing system around me um which consisted mainly of my brother he's my full-time coach um but I also got new physios in I got new sports psych and a new um clinical psych so I created my own team but I still had struggles continuously because to be training around people that make you feel awful is just really hard work. And on good days, like you can forget that. You're like, I'm training like a superstar. I'm going to come and crush it at competition. Don't even worry about them. But on the bad days, it's very easy to focus in and blame someone else or, um, you know, blame the situation. And that can be like adhering to your performance. So I spent so long trying to, you know, focus on the things that would help me as a successful athlete and that is not going to be on their decisions and how they make me feel it's going to be how we're going to problem solve that how am I still going to be ready and be in the fit and fighting condition like who do I need to speak to to get access to this and who do I need in my team to make sure that I can succeed so I was just in problem solve go 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 mode then in August 2018 injury struck a third time but yeah, and then I did my third ACL. So then I had some more time off snow, um, which I decided not 
to get reconstructed because I'd already had the year off and I felt like two years was like crazy to have off. And I also had pressure from the governing body that you need to perform a World Cup this year, otherwise you're not going to get another spot. Um, so I had that pressure to come back and I also just didn't think I could go through that, that 12 month process of having another surgery and being out for that long um, when I'd already just had the previous nine months off. Um, so I went the uh, conservative route and that's when I came into a lot of troubles with my knee, but I was on snow a lot of that time from then on, minus COVID. Um, so because I was a non scholarship athlete during COVID, a lot of those guys got to train because they were allowed to train in the, um, in the Institute program facilities. Um, but because I was not, I was not given that exemption. So I was not able to train through that period. To get the same injury over and over is really frustrating when you're trying to make change and you're trying to um, do all these things with your body. And so I don't think I could have done anything different. Like looking back now, like I put everything into it I possibly could. I found a new physio in San Diego and I like lived there at one point to get all I could from him. And my body has never been in such peak physical condition. It's just that I'm missing this key little ACL. So it's going to slide around and it's going to swell. But I don't have any issues doing any other sport, any other skiing. Like I ski without a knee brace. It's only at that top 5% when I'm pushing myself in the moguls and particularly in competition because you're pushing yourself that next level again is when I come into troubles. Himbury found issue with the fact that Team Australia labelled her as weak and not mentally tough, even during the time when she was knocking at their door, asking for mental health resources. Because I consider myself as a really tough person and a really like strong, resilient person, but I wasn't mentally tough in the point that it mattered. Um, and so I think I don't like to use that <laughs> because it just, it just sounds like grit and true like parents to be able to like move forward no matter what. And that like strong, I just think of like a strong bodybuilder that can lift as much weight as possible, which in our sport and in many sports, it's not how much weight you can lift. It's the finesse and it's how well you do it. And it's a skill. And so I think, now, what I value in my own mental health, I will, I will go with that rather than mental toughness, is like your ability to be able to cope because we're all going to have difficult situations and it's not ignoring it and it's not pushing those feelings to the side and pushing on like we get taught. It's being able to actually um, buy into these emotions and, you know, work through the pain and through bad times and be able to come out on the other side stronger and have grown. Himbury's adaptability and passion for the sport were called into question again when, outside of Team Australia's scholarship, she finished 33rd at the Mogul Skiing World Cup in Deer Valley, Utah. Ahead of the Beijing Games, she found that she felt backed into a corner on the World Cup stage. She had a 7th place finish from March 2021 but failed to qualify for the Olympics under a questionable scenario. She opted to retire soon after. That was like the end point for me anyway. Whether I qualified or not, I was always going to retire. Um, so that didn't change anything. It just was 
sad not to finish on a high note and also not to get another opportunity to ski well because I'd gone back to training. I knew I'd qualified the, I'd qualified the spot, so I was training really well again. Like I said, into 2018, I was training excellently in steamboat again. I was like a little bit scratchy. I was going bigger. I was skiing faster. I was ready. Like I was like, if I get this opportunity, I'm not going to fuck it up. Like I'm going to go out there and I'm going to go for it, you know? Um, and that was the mentality I was in. Like, and so it was disappointing not to get that opportunity again. Um, so, I mean, it was only two weeks ago, so it's still very fresh in terms of me processing that and really understanding that scenario and that situation um, because I still feel like I deserve to go um, seeing that either athlete was injured and so there's always these ifs and buts and whats and you know could have should have would have but I'm trying to focus on what I did achieve in in getting and being able to get that qualifying score to qualify for the Olympics and so I did that I did everything that I could possibly do within my control and everything else was out of my control we're so goal driven we're so like determined the reason why we're successful as athletes are because of those reasons and because of that discipline and structure and now I don't have that so it's a weird space to be in but yeah I'm trying to have fun I did I went water skiing last weekend and to do a sport for fun again like I was just giggling out the back there because I was like this is such a strange feeling to do something for fun again um because obviously what I do is really fun still like I still enjoy skiing but you know there was so much you got it goal oriented training where this was just like I was like whoa <laughs> what is this probably looked like a hooligan out the back of the boat just giggling away um but yeah it's, it's an odd 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 feeling I can tell you that <laughs> If you're goal-driven like Himbury, but feel misguided at times, all you need is an extra push. Thanks to today's sponsor, BetterHelp.com, you can get your entire process reworked with the help of an experienced professional. All of the stories I've told thus far have been the vulnerabilities of elite athletes and team personnel. They've worked through their struggles, at times by themselves, but most end up needing an extra boost of confidence from an outside source. Nearly all of them have utilized either a sports psychologist or a therapist at some point in their careers. Now, I'm bringing that option to you, the listeners. If you've ever listened to a Closer Mentality episode and thought, I feel exactly the same way, I'm working with BetterHelp to bring online therapy to your phone and computer. BetterHelp offers video, phone, and live chat options, and you can speak to a licensed therapist in less than 48 hours. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist, BetterHelp has more than 20,000 licensed therapists around the country, and you have access to them at any time. You can get thoughtful messages from your therapist, and if you aren't happy, it's free to change providers. If you're worried about the cost of traditional talk therapy, BetterHelp also plans for that. They offer financial aid if funding is the only thing standing between you and getting the help you need. Join the over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. I have a special offer for all Closer Mentality listeners. You can get 10% off your first month of professional therapy at betterhelp.com forward slash Closer Mentality. That's betterhelp.com forward slash Closer Mentality. Thanks again to BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode. The link is also in the show notes. And another huge thank you goes out to Maddie for sharing her story on episode 60 of Closer Mentality. You can follow her on Instagram at Maddie Himbury and Closer Mentality at Closer Mental. 
To see Maddie and I's entire interview, head over to Closer Mentality Uncensored on YouTube. The link to that is also in the show notes. Thanks so much for tuning into all of Closer Mentality's Women's History Month content. I already have a jam-packed April, and I can't wait to share their stories with you as well. We'll kick off next week with professional soccer player Brendan Griffiths. His story is awesome. But until then, see you next week.